Well, good morning, church family. Welcome to week two of a series we started last week called Swords and Thrones as we're studying the life of Hezekiah. So if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to 2 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 19 today as we uh, continue. And always, uh, you are welcome to get on your phone, tablet, iPad, download the Oakwood app in there are all the sermon notes for you. It has all the scriptures, all the bullet points. There's also a way for you to take notes and to save them. Uh, we want you to engage the Word of God. We think that we learn best from the Lord when we engage the Word of God. So want that to be um, top priority to allow the Lord of God to speak to you this morning as we continue in this series. And I, I just want to do just a quick uh, just, just reminder of, of what happened last week that's going to kind of frame things up and set it up for today. Last week in 2 Kings chapter 18, we learned about Hezekiah. And it was said of Hezekiah that he was one of the best kings. There was no one like him before all the kings in Judah. There was no one like him after all the kings in Judah. He was great. And so we began to look at what made Hezekiah great. And we learned these things last week, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't care what man thought. He didn't care what society and culture thought. He didn't care what the nation uh, of Judah thought. He, he said, I'm going to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And what that meant for him is he had to remove some things, some idols, some things that had gotten in the way of Judah's relationship with the Lord. He also broke into pieces some of those things. But then we also learned that he trusted in the Lord. He held fast to the Lord no matter what happened. And the Lord was with him. And that was the secret to his success. As you go through the rest of chapter 18, uh, we find out that the Assyrians have descended upon, uh, upon this region. They have taken over cities. They have taken over countries and over people groups. And Hezekiah is growing very concerned because as the Assyrians are marching, they're not being defeated. In fact, they're not even being really uh, put up against. They're not putting up a good fight. Any of the countries are just all falling one by one. And he is just on the doorstep to Judah. And now the Assyrians are trying to provoke Judah as well. They've even sent a letter. And so that's where we're going to pick up our passage today here in chapter 19. Because 19 is a continuation of 18 and all that was going on. It's a continuation. But here in 19, it zooms in just on Hezekiah more than the country and everything else going on. He is depicted in our text this morning as someone who is mourning the threats and the curses that he's taking personally against Judah, but there are also threats and curses against Almighty God. And while Hezekiah is mourning this news that he has heard and the Assyrian messenger comes with this warning in the form of a letter, and after this fear-mongering, the messenger appears to deliver this letter to Hezekiah to try to upset him, to try to get him to just succumb, to try to get him to just surrender, just give up before we even have to fight a battle. And then what we're going to read is, what does Hezekiah do? What does he do when the temperature is turned up? What does he do, what does he do when it comes to a time where he's struggling? What do you do when you have a problem or when the crisis comes? Well, let's read our text today and find out. 2 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 1, says this. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. In other words, it's, it's, it's like this sign of mourning. as he's, he's put on sackcloth, he's torn his clothes, he's heard the threats, he's heard the bad things that Sennacherib, who's the king of the Assyrians, and, and all the Assyrians, what they're saying about God. He went with Eliakim, 
the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz. Now, if you know your Bible, you know there's a whole book called Isaiah. Is this the same Isaiah? Yes. First mention of the prophet Isaiah here. And he goes to God's prophet to hear from God. And they said to Isaiah, they said to him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God. And that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. They're calling on Isaiah the prophet here to pray that a remnant, that just a small part of Judah will survive as the Assyrians descend. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah then said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me, Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. Now, you got to remember this. He's saying that Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he'll want to return to his own country, and then when he gets to his own country, he's going to be struck down with the sword. Hang on to that for later. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now, Sennacherib received a report that Turkaka, the king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. And so, again, he sent messengers to Hezekiah with his word. Say to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, this. Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all of the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of those nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the people of Eden who were in Telesur? Where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Lair, Sepharvarim, Hena, or Irva? Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and he read it. And then... He went up to the temple of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, enthroned, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms on the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. We're going to pause there, and we'll read the rest of the story in just a few minutes. But there's a couple things I want to bring out to you this morning. The first one is this. 
A great leader seeks God first in times of crisis. A great leader seeks God first in times of crisis. The response of great leaders is to go first to the Lord. To go first to God in prayer. And if you're wondering this morning what is prayer, prayer is simply our communication with God. And a good leader, when the crisis comes, when the heat is turned up, it's going to be 107 today. When the time of pressing comes and the stress comes and maybe even a little bit of anxiety and a fear of the future and what is going to happen, when the Assyrian army is on your doorstep, King Hezekiah would implore you, go to the Lord first. But we don't do that sometimes. We go to the Lord last. Try to solve the problems on our own. Do it our own way and our own strength and our own power because God made us pretty cool. And I'm going to try to solve my issues. And I'm going to try to do this and I'm going to do this. And then when that doesn't work out, what do we do? Oh, now, now, now we're going to go to the almighty God. Now, now's when I'm going to turn to a time of prayer. And prayer and calling out to the Lord, it should be the first thing that we do, not the last thing. It's not our last resort. It is our first hope. It's not the, the last thing we do when we're desperate. It's the first line of defense. It's the first point of attack. And here, here's the deal, folks. If I'm being 100% honest, I don't think this is a hearing problem for Christians. I don't think we, don't, we aren't aware of this. You know, like this is, oh, yeah, we need to go to the Lord first. Wow, I've never heard that before. That, 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 man, that's not the problem. It's not a hearing problem. I don't even think that it's an understanding problem. Oh, I just don't, I just don't understand I don't know what it means to go to the Lord first. And I don't understand the order of first, second, third, fourth, and last. I, you know, it's not a hearing problem. It's not an understanding problem. This is an obedience problem. This is an action problem. This is a problem that we're not doing what the Lord wants us to do. We're not doing what the Word of God instructs us to do. It makes me think of verses like James 1.22 in the New Testament. Book of James chapter 1, verse 22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So listening, you say, well, listening to the word of God would be deceiving yourself only if you just listen and don't do what it says. We are called by God to do what the scripture tells us to do, to take action upon it. And our first step of action is to go before the Lord in our time of crisis. I mean, King Hezekiah is a smart guy. He knows he is facing immense pressure and a horrible, terrible world power in Assyria. The best thing that he could do was to now go to the all-powerful Lord who is over all things, all of the universe, and to ask him for help. And he knows this because he knows there's great power in prayer when you talk to the Almighty One who has the greatest power ever. Hezekiah challenges believers today to remember that when we face the external threat, the ridicule for our faith, outright persecution, or just the times of crisis that come, the best thing, the first thing that we can do is to go to the Lord in prayer, to call upon the Lord first. When faced with a challenge, ask yourself this, do you pray first or do you try to solve the challenge and handle it on your own? I don't think God wants us to handle it. 
He wants us to bring it to him and depend on him through it all. Great leader seeks God first in times of crisis. Second thing from our text this morning, our problems are his opportunities. Our problems are his opportunities. They're God's opportunities. Now, I know the temptation is to look at your problems and to try to solve them yourself on your own power, with your own will and your own might, so that we can kind of feel good about that and step back, maybe with a little ounce of pride and be like, oh, look what I've accomplished, look what I did, look how smart I am, look how good I am, look how wise I am. And we have this tendency to do that sometimes and to almost put more faith in ourselves than we put in the Lord. But we're, to call, we're called by God to put our faith and our trust in him, in his indescribable power, in his infinite wisdom, in his mighty strength. Look how Hezekiah prays in verse 14. He receives a letter from the messengers and he reads it. And then what does he do? It says, then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. He actually took... He actually took the letter that he'd gotten with all the threats and everything in it that he had read, and he goes to the temple and he lays it out before the Lord. What a great model for us. When the issues and the crisis and the threats come, to lay those out. To, like, he physically does it. I wonder sometimes if that'd be good for us to, like, you know, God, my budget isn't working. We're going to lay it out. Physically, we're going to lay it out. We're going to bring it to the temple. Lay it out before the Lord God Almighty. He's bringing it all. He says, Lord, I need help. I cannot do this on my own strength. I need your help. He lays it out. He spreads it out before the Lord. Verse 15. And then Hezekiah prayed this to the Lord. So listen to how he prays. He starts with, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. He's talking the God who is high in the heavenlies with all of his power and all of his strength and all of his might. Enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all of the kingdoms of the earth. You are God, capital G. All the other little gods from all the other countries, lowercase g, because they're not really gods, they're just idols. But you are the God. You alone are the God over all the kingdoms on earth. You have made heaven and earth. <laughs> not only are you God and Lord over it all, you made it. Then he says, and he starts to cry out to the Lord, and he, 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 he comes to the Lord and, and says, give ear to the problems. Give your eyes to these problems. Listen to the words of Sennacherib and the Assyrians. And then he goes down to verse 17. He says, in this prayer, he says, is it true, Lord, or it is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations? Like, I'm, I'm just acknowledging it. They have, they, they, anybody that has encountered the Assyrians is gone. They are gone, flattened, wiped off the face of the earth. Sometimes the countries and the nations don't even exist anymore. The cities don't exist anymore under that rule. They are now all part of the Assyrian Empire. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For instance, they're, they're the little G gods, made of wood and stone, fashioned, fashioned by the hands of, of, of humans. But now, Lord our God, verse 19, now deliver us from his hand so that we can be safe. So we can be secure. So we cannot be scared anymore, Lord. No, that's not what he says. What does he say? What's his reasoning? Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that, anytime you see so that, it's what? He's saying why, why? Okay, so that what? So that all of the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. He turns it back to the Lord here. He makes it about the Lord. 
He, he, does he want to be saved from the Assyrians? Yes. Does he want his kingdom to be saved from the Assyrians? Yes. Does he want his family to not be tortured and taken or killed by the Assyrians? Yes. But when he's praying, he says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That the world may know that you are the most powerful one, that you are the maker of heavens and earth, that you are the Lord God. And I think Hezekiah in his prayer is shared here in 2 Kings 19 to show us that our problems are God's opportunities. Folks, this isn't something that's just unique to 2 Kings 19. We see this all throughout the word of God. We see it all throughout scripture. People come with their problems and God comes. People come with their situations and God shows up. And he does amazing things. There's no problem too big for God. There's no situation too far gone. There is nothing that God cannot deal with. And then I was reminded, when God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world to experience life in the flesh in human form. Jesus dealt with the same things that we deal with when he was on the earth. Scripture tells us that. You think about this. Jesus faced poverty. You say he was the son of God. How did he face poverty? Do you not remember what it says in Luke 9, 58? Jesus there said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't even have a bed. He didn't have a roof over his head. The son of God. He faced poverty. He faced exhaustion. He faced betrayal from a friend. You ever had a friend? That friend that stabbed you in the back? He faced grief that moved him to the point of crying at the face of a tomb. He faced, he faced temptation. Scripture tells us he faced temptation just like we do, except I think worse. Hey, don't eat for 40 days and go out with the devil to the wilderness. <laughs> that kind of temptation. Face to face with Lucifer, Satan himself. Isaiah told us that he would be a man of great suffering and oh, did Jesus, the Son of God, suffer. And yes, he even dealt with feeling forsaken by God as he cried out on the cross of Calvary, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus, as the Son of God, suffered through it all. And yet he overcame it all through the power of God. And it's a reminder to us, and it's, it's a reminder through the story of Hezekiah, even back in the Old Testament, that our problems are his opportunities. His opportunities. Jesus overcame everything. And if we call upon the Lord, we too can be overcomers in this life. If we call on the Lord, we too can overcome. Because our problems are just opportunities before the Lord. So Hezekiah has the Assyrians, Sennacherib, the, most, the largest power the world has seen to this point, taken over cities. They've just taken over Samaria, we read. They're at the doorstep of Judah. Jerusalem is next. He's gone to Isaiah, and he goes to Isaiah again with his friends and Isaiah prophesies about what's going to happen next. And that's where we're going to pick it up and read the rest of our story in verse 31. 2 Kings 19, verse 31. 
And this is Isaiah, the prophet, talking to Hezekiah on behalf of the Lord. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant. Do you remember we were praying for a remnant earlier? We're talking about, man, I hope there's a remnant. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. That's what Hezekiah was hoping for. If I could just get a remnant, just a few, a handful. If I could just get some survivors. And then look what the way that verse 31 ends there. It says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Remember that. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Verse 32. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. Now, let me stop there for a second. There's so many times we read the letter, right? The threatening letter. And we go, well, this is what Sennacherib says. This is what so-and-so says about it. Did you read Facebook? This is what so-and-so says. This is what so-and-so says on Twitter. Yeah, this, is, this is what the newspaper says says this is this is the doomsday this is this is the threat this is what's going to happen these are the things that are going to happen and yet we're reminded here verse 32 therefore this is what the lord says <laughs> forget about Sennacherib. i know most powerful king in the world at the time largest army in the world forget about him therefore this is what the lord says concerning the king of assyria folks we got to be more concerned about what the lord says right because last week what was the very first thing we learned about Hezekiah, what made him great as a king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and not man. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria, he will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. That's pretty bold. No one's been able to stop him. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. That was like, like a weapon that they used to get into cities and with fortified walls. They'd build the siege ramp. He's not even going to build one of those. But by the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Verse 35. Pretty awesome what happens. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. That's a busy angel. <laughs> Killing people all night. And then look at the next sentence there in verse 35. And when the people got up the next morning, with the dash of pause, and when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. 185,000 soldiers of the Assyrian army are killed in the night by the angel of the Lord. Oh, God can take care of things. God can take care of things. Verse 36. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, did what? Broke camp and withdrew, just like the Lord said. He returned to Nineveh, just like the Lord said. And stayed there, just like the Lord said. And verse 37, and one day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, kind of like Nimrod or something, you know, Nisroch, his son Adremelech and Sherezer killed him with the sword, just like the Lord said. And they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Isarhaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. Just like the Lord said. So why are we putting our faith and our ability to solve problems? Why are we putting our faith? Why, why is our first response to lean upon our own strength and our own power when we need to be going to the Lord? Here's the last thing this morning. We need to stay committed to the Lord through everything that we face. 
Stay committed to the Lord through everything you face. You don't know what you're going to face this week. You don't really know. Friday, I was driving, minding my own business in a parking lot, and a car hit me. Hit the side of my Explorer, big old dent in the door. I had no idea that was going to happen. You just don't know what's going to happen in your week, right? You walk out the doors today, something happens. Something's going to happen this week. But no matter what the circumstances are, you stay committed to the Lord through everything that you face. Because we are a people that are called by God to be committed in faith. You remember what faith is. Hebrews 11, 1 defines faith. Faith is being what? Sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. We are people called by God to be a people of faith. But faith requires action. We need to also be committed to be a people of action. That we actually act on what we hear. Again, back to James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. And it's interesting, as we got into the last part of this passage there in verse 31, where it says that out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, this band of survivors. But then it says this, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And when I read that, I thought, that's familiar to me. I've read that before, recently, like six months ago, like in a Christmas series. I remember reading a line about the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is what does the word zeal mean? When I think of zeal, I mean, I think it's like excitement about something, right? That's that's the definition of, of zeal is just to be excited about something. But it actually goes further than that. Further than that. Zeal is an eagerness to pursue something. It's an eagerness of pursuit. And so when it says, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this, he's talking right there in verse 31 about the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Accomplish what? Saving his people. Saving them from the Assyrian army. But again, it got me thinking. I was like, I've read that. It was in the Christmas series. And this guy, this prophet named Isaiah, who had also spoken here in 1931 of 2 Kings also said this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What's Isaiah talking about here? The birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. The foreshadowing in 2 Kings 19.31 is the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He will save Judah from the Assyrians. But it's a foreshadowing of another time when God wants to save his people. And we read about it in Isaiah 9.7. The greatness in the government will be on his shoulders. Do you remember what preempts that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7? Verse 6 says this. Maybe you'll know this part. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Why? Because the zeal, the eagerness, and the excitement of pursuit of God's people is why Jesus came into the world. John 3.16 says, because God so loved the world. He loved the people. He loves you. He loves me. That that's why he gave his one and only son. Jesus came into the world. That whoever would believe and put their faith in him will not perish but have eternal, everlasting life. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And then you say, well, what is my response then? What is my response to this truth? It's like Hezekiah. What does he do? He cares more about what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And then what does he do here today? He goes to the Lord first. God wants us to have a zeal for him. An eagerness to pursue a relationship with him. He wants us to have a zeal to come and worship on Sunday morning. He wants us to have a zeal to study the word of God and a zeal for prayer and a zeal to commune with him, which is what we're going to do right now.